Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. As you may have seen on social media, an organization I work for called the Independent Women's Forum, which is often cited here, just launched its brand new center, the Center for Energy and Conservation, which I played a little bit of a role in, in the launch, and I will be playing an active role in now that it's come to fruition. Our newly promoted center director, Mandy Gunusekra, who you've heard on the show several times, will be joining us on today's episode, and I want to read for you what our center is set to accomplish. The goals of the CEC, as we're calling it, are to advance the following. It'll reshape the conversation about American energy and conservation. The center will educate the public about the benefits of modern energy, including thriving economies and healthy communities. The center will also level set fear-based rhetoric surrounding the climate and cultivate meaningful policies that lead to cleaner air, cleaner water, and a lower emissions future. Importantly, the center will connect the role our modern energy industry has played in successful environmental outcomes in a better, more prosperous way of life also cover, this is me inserting what else I think we'll be setting to accomplish, talking about wildlands, wildlife, and the other issues you often hear about that don't get as much attention as they should. So we will draw attention to issues like public lands, forestry, and anything else that comes up because there is a lot of overlap with energy in many occasions, and sometimes there isn't, but it is necessary to still talk about them. So without further ado, we have Mandy Gunasekra, the newly promoted director of IWF Center for Energy and Conservation. Welcome back to the podcast, Mandy. Good to have you. Yeah, great to be here with you, Gabby. By the time this episode comes up, we will have already launched our new center for IWF, the Center for Energy and Conservation. And I want you to give a preview of the center and what we're going to hope to accomplish and all these different specificities and and why IWF decided to launch this now and, and at this time. Yeah, so I'm really excited about it. It's called the Center for Energy and Conservation. And our mission will be advancing our energy potential, protecting the environment, and promoting healthy communities. And so I think of this as the three-pronged stool of balance that's necessary to actually achieve long-lasting policies that improve the environment, but not at the behest of people continuing to advance and grow and prosper, primarily through economic opportunities that we do so well here in this country. So the goal of this center is, uh, there's a couple goals. Um, One is to give our conservative leaders a resource and information they can turn to when 
they're either talking to constituents, they're working with fellow legislators, they're going to go on TV or a podcast or talk about these issues. I want them to feel equipped to lean in on these issues. And I emphasize the leaning in and speaking up for conservatives in the environmental space. It is so important because We've ceded this territory for far too long. It's been overtaken with extremism and fear-based rhetoric, and that's not healthy. It's not healthy for constructive policy debate, and it certainly isn't healthy for um, for the public writ large, especially kids. I talk about this a couple times, but there's this new form of anxiety taking over younger generations called eco-anxiety, and they don't need to be scared about the climate. They don't need to be scared about environmental progress because we actually have a really good story to tell. So I'm going to focus on big picture, how I think we can achieve that, how we can improve the conversation, advocate meaningful policies, um, and, and also reshape the conversation around energy, environment, and then the men and women that are a part of the energy industry into something that's positive, something we can celebrate, and something we can achieve to do better. That's a good summation, and I guess my involvement in the center is to kind of fill the void where you cover energy so brilliantly, and I contribute to that, but to kind of help shape the center's messaging on wildlife and wildlands, which are just as critically important. There's even overlap with energy issues because when you go to the western states, you have to deal with multiple use, and how can you accommodate both people's livelihoods and also the preservation of wildlife all on the outset, and those issues... I think are often ignored in the center-right space. They don't talk about everyone's just energy, climate. They don't talk about these or they lightly touch on these issues. So I think we're going to be able to cover the whole gamut of conservation, energy, and responsible stewardship, which is so exciting because I think many people are looking for a forum like our organization, IWF, to be able to weigh in on these issues. And I think beyond even conservatives, we can appeal to anyone who's independent-minded. I think Mm -hmm. we've seen... People all across the political spectrum, they see how high their energy bills are. They see that they're losing public lands access or some sort of access to fishing or lobstering or something. And they're wondering, why is the government trying to take away my ability to you know, provide for my family with inflation and it's leading to higher energy costs or my 401k is being subjected to ESG metrics or I'm losing my livelihood to provide for my family if I'm a commercial angler or something of that nature. And I think we will be able to help fill a void even for people who are not necessarily in alignment with us politically too. I think there's we can help fill a void, especially with women too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the what a lot of folks have been told about how to get to a better environmental future, let me cut my phones off, um, is they've, they've been pitched this idea of scarcity in the future, whether it's scarcity in terms of access to energy, scarcity in terms of access to jobs, or scarcity in how we use electricity generated that supports our everyday need. That is a false future, um, and that unnecessarily pits economic growth against environmental improvement. And then I would tag on to that your, your piece of this puzzle that is so important, um, the conservation element, where we're talking about critical habitat, uh, wildlife species, and everything that falls un- under the rubric of true conservation. And I love it, Gabby, because 
I think about this sometimes from an administrative agency perspective. We're going to bring together all the issues covered at Department of Interior, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and the Department of Energy. If you're on Capitol Hill, we kind of marry energy and commerce jurisdiction with uh, natural resources. And the same on the Senate. We kind of marry and cover all the issues covered under uh, the Senate Energy Committee as well as Environment and Public Works. So it is a, it is a um, full scope in terms of all of these issues that are so interrelated. The back point about scarcity, we have already proved from a technological perspective that we can grow the economy in massive ways and reduce emissions. This decoupling of emissions alongside economic growth occurred years ago. And so we just need to hone in and focus on what were the things that led to those tangible improvements. We need to get away from unhelpful rhetoric, um, un unhelpful fear-mongering. And when you start focusing on you know, proposing uh, tangible or, or practical solutions to tangible issues that are gonna lead to meaningful improvements, um, there's room for everybody who wants to be serious about the environment, get the politics out of it, and focus on what will actually work. I also think people who follow farming and forestry, because that falls under the umbrella of yeah. the USDA, which is a gigantic agency, that'll also be, I think, coupled in with the center's interest. So we want to, I think, also help those people out too if they're struggling with WOTUS or some sort of other infringement or a lack of forest management. So I think we'll even, we, we've unofficially tackled those issues. I've written about those kinds of issues for our organization already, but we can even help I think them there. And, and what specifically can our center do? I mean, obviously we're an educational outfit. We don't do electioneering. We can help educate people about certain policies and certain legislation, but what exactly can the center accomplish? Yeah. So we'll be shaping the public narrative. We will give a platform to people who want to engage on this issue that may have felt in the past that their voice was not heard or was not appreciated. Um, I especially want to reach out to the folks who are working in the field, whether it's an actual field, um, a farm field, or an oil field, or in the boardroom, um, or along some of the, the, the pipelines and infrastructure components that are important for extracting energy resources, turning it into something usable, and delivering it to we, the consumers that actually need it, um, giving a platform for those voices to actually be heard. Because often the men and women of the energy industry especially, um, but any of our major industries industrial actors, they get villainized, um, especially under this administration. They get villainized in ways that I think are very unfair. And if you ever, I know you do this, you go out and you do visits and you talk to the men and women who actually work at those places, they are very proud of the work that they do. And they, um, I want to give them, I want to give them a voice. So, so that'll be a piece of it as well. Also, um, certainly educational, but directional education, um, pointing out, okay, here's this bill, I think this could actually work, or here's this bill. I don't think this actually would achieve what it what it says and why. So facts, information, whether it's for people on Capitol Hill or whether it's the the mom or aunt or cousin of um, young children who are growing up and starting to ask questions. The reality is that American youth are being exposed to propaganda that has infiltrated school books. And so when they come home and they're asking questions, I wanna make sure that the people around them are equipped um, with information analysis and context to mitigate any unnecessary fears that, that, that may have been developed and then hopefully plant a seed with, with, with the whole, around the whole conversation to do something meaningful instead of just get 
get angry or get scared or do things that that currently define a lot of the quote-unquote climate or environmental movement. I also think in addition to pointing out the bad, I think we also can highlight the good about the good innovations and reforms that are happening. And I, I have no doubt we'll encounter a lot of stakeholders and spokespeople and pe- others who are just trying to change things for the better in their respective environments, regardless of where they live across the country. So I think we can also add some positivity yeah. highlighting. And I know probably for the other verticals, the champion women section and others, we will probably come across people in these fields that are specifically under the center um, that we can help highlight too, I think even more. And I know uh, if you have an interest, I, I forget if it's exactly under the forum umbrella or independent women's voice, but uh, we are always looking and will be looking more specifically for people who can help speak. Yeah, I think we, we can help inform the debate um, <clears throat> however and wherever it is ultimately delivered, whether it's the, at the kitchen table or in the halls of Congress. We want to promote a, a more informed and meaningful conversation and do away with this feeling that there's nothing I can do. Um, there are things that you can do, but you can also do it without having to pay exorbitant costs to fill up your car or without having to pay exorbitant fees added on to the groceries you purchase at the store because of transportation costs and all the pressures that are then put on um, our farmers. And I did want to say this, Gabby, when, when you mentioned earlier um, the, the farmers and the hunters, um, I thought about this. You know, These are some of our original conservationists, and I think there's a lot of wisdom that can be learned by bringing those voices into the broader environmental conversation. It absolutely can. And I know I drum about this on the podcast, of course, and and we've talked a lot about this and you've helped me kind of channel my ideas more too. And they really are. And I think Washington of late does not hear from those people or they selectively choose which ones they like, those that agree with a big government top-down approach. And you don't need to have that. And I think we always talk about, you know, is the threat of deregulation really going to lead to more environmental disasters? There's really... Not so much of a connection between, I think, a lot of heightened fears over deregulation um, that come with it. And, and I think the center is going to prove that you don't need to have the whole of government to protect the environment, to steward land well. And, and that's a theme we echo here on the podcast, IWF, everywhere, I think, um, that comes about it. And I, I think that's where we can help set the narrative to be like, you don't need this. And, and leaning on regular Americans who do this day to day, farming, ranching, outguiding um, something of that nature, you know, in these respective fields, they see it firsthand. They know the toll of environmental regulations. It's not like they don't want to comply. They don't support any, you know, sort of checks on their industries. Basic stuff is acceptable. But this overreach to prevent them from actually doing what they want to do under the guise of stopping carbon emissions, preventing, you know, the further imperiling of an extinct species or a threatened species, uh, it's, it's gone overboard with this balancing act. They're not balancing stewardship with protecting the environment. They're giving preference to special interests over those who are engaged in balance use. And who are we going to have speaking at the event? Who, who will have spoken at our event? So we have a really great lineup. Before I get into that, though, I do want to touch sure. on what you brought up, the, the aspect of mm. regulatory reform or deregulation. Um, I, that's actually a good word. Um, I think it is in any large organization, let's step outside of government, let's go to some major business. At, in any large organization, um, it is always a good idea to essentially audit the process, audit how things work, and then figure out what works, what gets in the way, and what needs to be changed. Well, the same obvious 
obviously applies to these, these large bureaucratic institutions. Having ran one myself, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, I can tell you we did our best trying to uh, reform processes so that the agency was more responsive and efficient with the time, energy, and resources entrusted to them by the taxpayer. Uh, we went out of our way to do that, but there is so much more work to be done. And I think that uh, regulatory reform is a really, really good idea because there's so many instances where too onerous of a regulatory standard actually gets in the way of advancing environmental protection. Because what happens, um, people spend more time, time and energy and funds on consultants and lawyers and compliance with standards that at the end of the day don't move the needle in terms of cleaning up the air, cleaning up the water, addressing legacy pollution, or reducing emissions overall. So there is a, that, that is to me, I hear that and I, I see a lot of positive opportunities in approaching it from a very responsible manner. But today, back to today, um, we have some really great speakers. We're going to have um, Governor of Alaska, Governor Dunleavy, who will be up there speaking, Harriet Hageman, who is the at-large member from um, Wyoming. Um, she has an amazing background. She was an environmental lawyer before she stepped and dipped her toes into elective office. So she's always a very powerful and informed speaker on these issues. Um, we also have Alex Mooney from West Virginia. Uh, Congressman Alex Mooney, who is West Virginia is such an important perspective because they were patient zeros, so to speak, on the war against fossil fuels starting years and years ago. But really, uh, the, the, they are a resource, they have a resource based economy. So any of these overarching oppressive regulations um, have really been a, been a major blow to their local economy. So it's important to hear him how they've moved, been able to move past it and what they see as a better path forward. Um, so those are some of our speakers. Um, I know we're going to have a lot of the IWF ladies. You're going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking a little bit on these issues, but I'm really excited to get the launch off um, for it to take off and then for this center to continue to, to grow and bring in all sorts of people, um, certainly into the center, but into the broader conversation about how do we create a better future from an environmental and economic growth and a thriving communities perspective. Plug in all the associated links so people can learn about the center, engage with us. We have a newsletter. What is our newsletter going to be called? Our newsletter is going to be called Clearing the Air, um, and it will be issued once a month. Eventually, I'd like to do twice a month, but we're not going to kill ourselves as we get started. We'll do once a month uh, analysis of what we've done, what we're looking forward to. It will also include a spotlight of our advisory board members. We have a powerhouse advisory board. I like to call it our all of the above uh, advisory board because I've got people who have either experiences or perspectives professionally and personally interacting or representing with, uh, with all of the various energy resources. We've got nuclear experts, renewable energy experts, coal experts, oil and gas, um, you name it. So I'm really excited. But in the newsletter, we will have an advisory spotlight where we highlight some of the work that our advisory board members do as well. So it'll be a good way to get a summation of what's going on, what you should be paying attention to, and links, obviously, if you want to get more off of our website, um, IWF. Org. And right now, our website landing page is at iwf.org backslash CEC, standing for Center for Energy and Conservation. Excellent. Those are great. And yes, we always love to include my work at IWF here and anyone who's affiliated with our organization. You, of course, 
our most popular uh, guests or most frequent guests rather here from the organization onto the show. A lot of cross-pollination. Of course, Mandy, congratulations on your promotion to director of IWF Center. Yours as well. Energy and Conservation. Thank you. That's it's exciting. And I've been teeing up like it's so hard to keep this hidden. Like it was so hard to keep this a surprise. I'm glad we're going on the open. We were working behind the scenes doing this. And I think we're going to build up so much excitement, not only for women, but I think just everyone in the United States, but really giving women in conservation and the greater stewardship space a voice and, and helping to showcase like we do have a say, like it affects us. All these decisions affect us. We can be empowered. We can make the community, make our surroundings much better, all the while not ruining our economy in the process. So I think people are looking for this and my biases and involvement aside, I think this is going to be a really exciting endeavor. So thank you for coming to share what's going on with our new center on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.